we are so glad that you are here, and we, if you're joining us for the first time today, we pray that you feel loved and welcomed. We want you to know that we, uh, we love new people here at Hope. It's why we exist, that there is always room. Even if we're adding chairs in the back, there's always room for you here uh, in our family. And so we want you to know that it was a great choice to come here and worship today. Just turn to your neighbor right now and say, neighbor, great choice today. Great choice in coming here today. Absolutely. Great choice. It's a great choice because today we are kicking off a brand new series of messages called Back to School. And it is that time of year where uh, kids around the metro area and for uh, a lot of us parents uh, as well, school's back in session and that can bring uh, a variety of emo- emotions. For some of you parents, it's a sigh of relief. Uh, for some of the kids, it's, it's the end of what seemed like an endless summer uh, and, and all the fun. For me, I never wanted summer to end. Uh, growing up, and in fact, it was almost like I could, you know, late July, early August, I could start hearing uh, nightmares about school bells ringing and that I was going to be late. Uh, and, and the reason that I always feared these bells is because I was always cutting it close. In, in uh, growing up through, uh, especially in, in high school, uh, we lived literally about two and a half blocks from the school uh, at my house there. And so I would obviously sleep in to the last possible minute. I think we had to be in our seats at 825, and I would sleep in until about 816, um, which for guys, you can do this, right? Uh, and so I'd give myself about a half a minute for a shower, uh, and I would eat something as I'm sprinting. Uh, and my parents would always say, you know, Jonathan, you need to get up earlier, then you're not going to be late and all this stuff. They wanted me to be a good student, obviously. But I would leave at the last possible second. I'd leave at like 8, 24 and a half, and I would just sprint as fast as I could. My parents would call it the sprint of shame. Uh, and so I, I am running, and th- this one year, I think it was my sophomore year, uh, in, I had an English class first with Miss Simpson. And she always knew that I came in late, but as long as I was in my seat, we were good. And there was this long hallway leading up to her room, and then those desks. You know the desks where the chair and the desk are together? You know what I'm talking about? Kind of a little L shape there. And so they're not very stable. Uh, And so normally what I would do is I would run in, and then my seat was kind of on the end of the hallway, and I could sneak in without her seeing me, right? This is the pastor's kid, by the way, just... Good, good shape here. And so I would run in and I would sneak in until one day where I was running so fast that I'm running down the hallway. So imagine the whole rest of the class is sitting there. I come sprinting down the hallway and my, my momentum, the energy of that, I go in the seat and then I just keep going. Right, So the bell's about to ring, the entire class is watching, including Miss Simpson, and my momentum just carries me right into the chair and then right over. And the chair just tips over, of course, into the cutest girl in the class, too, um, by all means. And so I tip over, and the desk is laying on top of me. I made it uh, by the bell, by the way. Uh, I'm here, and Miss Simpson just comes over and looks at me and says, Glad you can make it today, Mr. Annenson. We're glad that you're here. So that's, that's my memory of, uh, of going back to school. Uh, and so I just hear those bells in my head sometime. But I want you to imagine with me this morning, what if there was a school that you actually looked forward to going to? What if there was a school that you could not wait to get to, that you weren't counting down the minutes until you, had to, until you could get out? It was counting down the minutes until you got to go. And today we have that opportunity, and it's to become a disciple of Jesus. And that word disciple, we've talked about this before in the New Testament, literally means student or apprentice. 
And so that's why this series is called Back to School, because the call on all of our lives, whether you're going back to an actual school this fall or sending your kids there or not, even as adults, we're called to go back to school, to Jesus' school. And it's not one that's just in a classroom with desks that tip over. Jesus' school is every day. It's the classroom of life. And Jesus is inviting you to be his apprentice, to be his pupil. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to go back to the book, back to the book, the Bible that you have in front of me. We're going to go back to the basics of who God has called us to be as his people. And we're going to hit some topics that are very familiar, but see, when we follow Jesus for a while, they can just be kind of become ordinary or mundane. And so today we're going to start with, what is worship all about? So as your professor this morning, would you please open your textbooks to Ephesians chapter 1. Open your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 1. If every single person could grab a Bible, that would be awesome, because you're going to need that this morning. We're going to do some good old-fashioned Bible study here this morning. So Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 11. Ephesians is in the New Testament. It's all the way in the back, so it's going to be like in the back fourth of your Bible. It's after the Gospels. Uh, Paul wrote this letter to the the church in Ephesus, and uh, he's encouraging them uh, about what worship is all about. That was our question of the day. When you hear the word worship, what comes to mind? So this is our first assignment in Jesus' school here, and so we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. If you're there, say, I'm there. All right. In him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Verse 12, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, get this, might be for the praise of his glory. In other words, the reason that you and I exist, what Paul is telling us here, the reason that we were created, the reason that we were saved, the reason that you and I have breath in our very lungs today, is for the praise of his glory, a.k.a. to worship him. A quick lookup of the word worship in the dictionary says it literally means to ascribe value or worth. To ascribe value or worth. Because you can worship a lot of different things, right? Worship is not primarily just a Christian term. It's to ascribe value or worth. Everybody say value. Value. Everybody say worth. Describe value or worth. Paul's reminding us is that the purpose of your life, what we see the purpose of his will for us, would be to ascribe value and worth to Jesus in everything that we do. And I think growing up as kids, we naturally get this. We get praise. We get worship. Remember, uh, maybe it's in your grandkids now or your kids, depending on what age they are, or maybe you growing up. Do you remember when you were around your parents and when you are around other people, if you find something around you that you believe has value or worth, whether it's a little car or a little toy, or for our son Caleb, who's 16 months, it's our shoes that he really is excited about, and they lift them up and they say, shoe, shoe, or car, car, or this toy, or whatever it is, and then the statement is always, look, look, mommy, look, or look, daddy, look. Do you ever remember doing that and you just wanted to get their attention? Whatever you had, you're lifting it up and say, this is really, really important. You need to look at this. I'm ascribing value and worth to whatever this is, to draw our attention to how great it is. And and kids do that because they want us to behold its greatness. 
And maybe it's because, I was thinking about that this week, thinking about my own son and other kids around here that I know, maybe it's because kids, well, they just know how to enjoy things instead of trying to analyze them or control them. They just know simply how to enjoy things that are good. They have no problem giving themselves fully to whatever has their attention. And yet when we grow up, somewhere along the line, I think we forget how to be in awe. I mean, I watch my boy and I watch him try to put on daddy's shoes and then he'll lift it up and he'll show it to me and he'll say, shoo. And he'll just hold it in front of me like, Come on, Dad, get it. This is the most amazing thing in the world. It's a shoe. And I'll go, yes, it's a shoe. Somewhere along the line, we lose our awe. We just kind of go, oh, it's a shoe. Or, oh, it's the God of the universe. And I think this is where we start to get messed up a little bit with our sense of Worship, And no matter if you've lost that sense of awe or innocence in your mature adulthood today, it doesn't change the fact that we were created for it. Do a little exercise. You don't have to shout it out, but that question of the day, when you hear the word worship, what comes to mind? Don't think too deeply, just the first thing, what comes to mind? For some of you, it's, if, if you grew up in a more traditional setting, it's going to be organs and hymnals, right? That's true worship, Right? It's the Bill Gaither vocal band, for pity's sakes. The one true kind of worship, right? Praise the Lord. Amen. Jesus, right? Whatever, whatever background you came from, for some of you, it's not worship unless there is a band, unless there are electric guitars and drums, whatever it is. For some of you, you think about what your favorite worship song is, what songs you don't like. Some of you, when you hear worship, you think, oh, man, I hate to sing. And that's Okay but we have a pretty limited view of what worship is if that's what comes to mind. Before any of that, worship is about making Jesus famous with every aspect of our lives, to lift him up, just as kids do with different things, to lift up Jesus by how we live our lives so that we're essentially saying to the world, look, look, look how great my Savior is. Look how great he is. That's what Paul's getting at here in Ephesians. And what we do here on Sunday mornings is just one tiny little part of that. And so to limit worship to an hour on Sunday morning is selling ourselves way short of what we were created for. Here's the thing about worship, and you might want to write this down. This pretty much encapsulates what we're going to talk about this morning. Worship has nothing to do with you, and it has everything to do with you. That's the paradox. You might want to write that down. Worship has everything, has has nothing to do with us because it's all about God, and at the same time, it has everything to do with us because it's what you were created to do. It's what you were created to do. Think back to Genesis chapter 1-1. We read that in the beginning, what's the next word? In the beginning, God created, right? The fact that God is always previous should give us an indication right, of a clue to what life is all about. How often do we get wrapped up in our own little worlds? And of course, we, none of us would, would ever say that we worship other things, but I just wonder, picture this with me for a second, if somebody followed you around and watched your life for a week or a month, and by how you uh, spend your time, 
by where your affections lie, by what you prioritize in your life, what would they say you worship? Just think about that for a second. By the things that you're passionate about, by the things that you love, by how you spend your time, what your affections are for, who or what would they say you worship? What would they say you ascribe value or worth to? Somebody once said you can know what you worship by looking at your checkbook and where that has gone Would they say that you worship God or would they say that it's primarily for his pleasure or for yours? Think about how strange it would be. And we would never do any of that, but by the way we live our lives in self-centered ways sometimes, we tend to put other things on the pedestal of our hearts other than God. There's a fancy word for that. It's called idolatry. That's in the Ten Commandments. (laughs) That's one of God's no-nos. We're not called to do that. But think how strange it would be if we made Sunday morning worship fit the way that we often live our lives. If Sunday morning worship was the way that we live for our own agendas, our own pleasure, our own priorities, well, it would be called something like me worship. And believe it or not, there is a brand new CD and customer associates are standing by ready to give you this CD so you can worship you. It's called me worship. Let's take a look. It's all about me. It is all about you. Now, the greatest collection of me worship ever assembled on one CD. It's all about now I lift my name on high. All 20 songs, all about you. This amazing collection is great to share with friends, if you have any. Everyone can join in the worship with you, for you, and about you. Because you are unique and you love you. There is none like me. No one else All this can for do only 1995. Like Operators do. are standing by to serve you. And I am why I sing. And I am why I live. If you order now, you'll also receive a second CD of Yule Tide Favorites. I sing. Call 1-800-ME-ME-ME or order online at memyselfandi.com Call today because no one can praise you like you. Wow. So there you go. Anybody want to buy one? They're standing. Operators are standing by. Anybody? No, right? Something about that just doesn't sit right with us. And we laugh and giggle, but there's something inside of us that just kind of goes, no. And we, we laugh at that, but by the way that we live our lives and where we ascribe value and worth, that's essentially what we're saying. Something inside of us, I don't know, it just kind of goes, ugh. That's not the way it's meant to be. And, and, and it's the same way, whoever just ate, maybe, did you go to the fair? Did anybody go to the fair? Did you just eat way too much food? You know that feeling? Or maybe you just eat way too much junk food, and you know that feeling like, I can only gorge myself so much. That feeling. Do you ever just get that feeling in life when you just are living for yourself, and you just kind of go, enough? 
I mean, it doesn't matter what socioeconomic level you're on or what your background is. You ever just, the more you live for yourself, I think we're wired up to reject that. Because we are created to worship God, I think something inside of us just goes, enough already about me. On the contrast, you ever, you ever stood and looked at a mountain range or a sunset, looked over the fields during harvest time in Iowa, just on a beautiful, peaceful night, or for me, it's driving down Kingman Boulevard in the fall, and something inside of you just goes, oh, like I can breathe again. And it's just... It's almost like I need room for my soul to breathe. And when I make life all about me or when you make life all about you, something just sort of deflates. When we live for the things that matter, when we live to worship God, it's what we were created for. Something inside of us goes, oh, this is so right. Or maybe for you it's been in that moment during worship on Sunday morning sometime where you just you think to yourself, this is so right. This is so good, and it doesn't always change your circumstances. But for that brief moment, you get this glimpse of just like, life is not about me. And all of my issues and all of my circumstances and all of my struggles, they just kind of get put into perspective. We were created to worship not only because of what it does for us, don't get me wrong, but simply because of who God is. What we often forget is that we lose the fact that if God had never done anything for us, If God had never created us, if he never gave us the world, the gift of love, the gift of friendship, everything that you have in your life today that you enjoy is a gift of God, including Jesus as our Savior. Anything that we have, imagine that God had never given any of that to us. He is still worthy of our worship, is what Scripture says, simply because of who he is. And so my question for you this morning is, what motivates your praise These days, what is the motivation for your worship? Is it unconditional or is it conditional? Give you a glimpse of this. I remember a story my brother, who's also a pastor, told me he was doing some pre-marriage counseling with a couple, and uh, he was spending some time getting to know them, and he was helping them, you know, learn a little bit more about themselves. And one of the questions that he uh, posed to the husband and was going to ask both of them, but he turned to the husband and asked, "So tell me." Uh, what's, let's say her name was Sarah, what's one thing that you love about Sarah, your fiancé? What's one thing you love about her? And so he thought, and he thought, and my brother's kind of wondering, it's taking you this long to think about something? This is not good, right? And then he thought a little bit longer, and so, you know, maybe he's thinking, oh, he's just really deep in thought, and he's going to have this really deep romantic answer. What's one thing that I love about my fiancé? Hmm. Oh, I know what it is, he says. Last year for Christmas, she got me this sweet new snowmobile. And man, I've wanted one forever. See, she is just so great. And my brother's sitting there going, uh, okay, that's interesting. A logical question would be, and I don't think he asked this, but a logical question would be, so what happens when she doesn't come through for you the way that you want? What do you love about her? Why do you want to spend time with her? Is who she is simply enough? What about your worship today? Is God worthy of your love and affection based on the condition that he's given you exactly what you want in this life? 
or simply because he's your father who loves you. As a father, I want my son to adore me, not worship me, but to adore me, to love and respect me because I'm his dad, because I love him. It would kill me, and dads, I'm guessing that it would kill you, if the love of your children for you was based on how good of gifts you got them for their birthday or for Christmas, right? And since we are made in the image of God, I think that's a glimpse into God's heart. Is God worthy of your worship even when you don't get what you want? Think about that. Take it deeper than that. How often do we base our worship, specifically here on Sunday mornings, uh, not just on what God has done for us lately, <laughs> but how we feel like we're doing lately? Sometimes I hear people that have, they, they come in or they, they call me or they'll email me or something, which I appreciate, and they say, John, you know, I just had a really stressful, busy week, and you know, I think I, think I just need to take a week off from worship. You know, I, I've been really struggling Recently, uh, marriage isn't going so well. Things are really, I just really messed up and uh, some sins I'm struggling with during the week. And I just think, well, church is the last place I should be. You know what my response is? I'm very candid with people now. Now, actually, I think this is the very first place that you should be. No matter what's going on in your life. Because we have a Jesus that comes to us And no matter what you're feeling and where you're at in your life today, we have a Jesus that comes to us in Matthew chapter 11. And he says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. No matter what's going on in your life, I'd like to replace that with, come to worship. (laughs) Come to Jesus. Come be with his family. And I will give you rest, God says. We, I love how the psalmist puts it in Psalm 42. He's being brutally honest about his life is terrible right now. And he says, why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? You ever thought that? In other words, God, why is life so hard? What should I do? And then the psalmist answers his own question. I love the response. He's talking to himself, to his own soul. And he says, put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And so we're going to do that this morning. Instead of just talking about worship, I'm going to have uh, Jed come up and we're actually going to do it. And we're just going to take a minute here and we're going to put our money where our mouth is. And instead of just talking about worship, we're going to do it. And there's this song called How Great Is Our God. And what I love about this song and what I love about pretty much all the the worship songs that we do here uh, on Sunday morning is that they have very little to do with us. (laughs) And it's because of everything that we just talked about. It has everything to do with how great God is. When we put the focus on him, we gain this whole new perspective. And so Jed's going to lead us in this song, How Great is Our God. And as you worship, I really want you to pay attention to what you are singing. Not so much just focus on whatever the words are on the screen, yes. But don't just read them like you're reading a book. Make this your prayer to God. As we sing this together, what does it look like to ascribe value and worth to God? When we strip everything else away, what does it look like to simply worship? So we're going to sing just a part of this song together. Let's sing it. In the splendor of the King, 
all the earth rejoice. Let all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light. And darkness tries to hide. And trembles at his voice. And trembles at his voice. And how great. And how great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God. And all will sing how great, how great is our God. Let's sing that again. And how great is our God. And how great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God And always sing how great, how great is our God I love it. That might have just been the best part of the morning so far. Thanks for worshiping with us. So I'm going to have Jed stay up here and uh, chime in uh, a little bit. Uh, so we've talked about why we worship, but wh- what does it mean for us here on the weekends? If there's nothing more important we can do than what we just did, than, than worship, then it must be more than a warm-up. It must be more than just a time killer or something to fill some time before the sermon. And I hear a lot of people say, well, you know, everybody knows the worship at the beginning of the service. I'm a little late. It's okay. Uh, No offense, Jed, or anything, you know. But really, we know it's just sort of the warm-up act to the sermon. You know, Jed's kind of like the warm-up comedian, and then the real person comes up, you know. There's something wrong with that because I'm not that good, and God's just that great. Amen? And we have an incredible worship team, but their job isn't to point you to them. It's because we get the opportunity every week to encounter the God of the universe in worship. So when I hear people say, oh, I'll just come in and I'll just kind of stand in the back and drink my coffee. And, and, and I hear some people talking during worship and having conversations and connecting. I'm like, you know, that's great. We want you to connect. But at the same time, do you understand what we're doing here? I mean, do you understand what just took place as we just sang those few lines together? Like, a majority of the world has never done that. (laughs) They don't have the opportunity to experience that together. And so when people say, I'm eating my donut holes in the back or being a little late is fine. And I'm not ratting on you for being late. I don't like getting up early either. I'm back there chugging Dr. Pepper every week, you know, to get just get fired up. No, I'm kidding. It's about what we're doing. It's not a warm-up act. It's the real deal. It's why we do what we do. And the other mistake, I think, often is we treat worship as sort of something to consume. I was looking at some new studies this week, and they show that adults are, the, the new studies, adults are exposed to screens, TVs, phones, computers, laptops, iPads, whatever, for about 8.5 hours on a given day. That's about how long you're supposed to sleep, by the way but we are spent in front of a screen predominantly as passive spectators. In other words, we are consuming. And so we just assume, well, that's what we do here. The worship band and what Jed's doing up there is they're kind of the screen, and we'll just sit there and sit back and be passive spectators and just watch. Except it's not. 
There's nothing in scripture that talks about consuming worship. It says we are worship. We are objects of affection towards God. So if it's not that, then what is it? There's this Danish philosopher named Soren Kierkegaard, which I just love saying his name. Yeah, Kierkegaard. Yeah. Um, and so he had this analogy where he compared what was wrong with most churches and worship compared to the way that we often view a play or a musical that you go to. And I want to kind of show you this chart up on the screen. He narrowed it down to there's three kinds of people uh, whenever there's a play or a show of some sort. There's prompters. There's those people that sort of get the audience going and get them moving. There's actors, the people that actually do the show. And then there is an audience, somebody that you're doing the show for. And he said, predominantly, what the church has backwards is that as consumers, we often think that God is simply the prompter, that's all that he is, that the actors are the leaders, that they're the pastors and the worship leaders up here up front, and then you as the congregation or you as the church is the audience. And as an audience, you just sit back and relax, right? You don't really have to do anything when you go to a play or a musical. And Kierkegaard is saying, oh, this is where the church has got it all wrong. Biblically, it looks a little bit more like this. Jed and the worship band and our worship leaders are our prompters. That's all that they are. Their goal is to point you to Jesus and get out of the way. They're not the show. We thought about actually putting them in the back some week and having them lead worship from the back just to make the point they're not the point. The point is what's going on in here between you and God. The actors or the people that are participating is you. What happened if you went to a play and the actors said, ah, we'd rather be spectators. Somebody else will do it. I know I've said it before, but we don't worship if you don't worship. Right? They can play some nice songs up here, but what we just did a few minutes ago, that's worship because that was us. You are the actors, you are the participants, and the audience is God. It's not anybody around you, it's not what they're going to think, it's not all the different perceptions that people have. That's a biblical way of looking at it. And so I'm just going to ask Jed to share just a little bit, how does that way of thinking about it, when we get that right <laughs> and get in the right heart and mind, how does that impact you as a worship leader and then the rest of the band up here? What difference does that make for you guys? Well, uh... In one respect, it takes a whole lot of stress off of my shoulders. Sometimes worship <laughs> leaders can think that, that there is a lot of stress riding on their shoulders that, that actually isn't. Uh, I once heard of a, of a pastor um, who was looking for a worship leader, and he said um, something to the effect that I'm looking for someone who can really usher in the presence of God. And when you think about that, that's like a lot of, like, <laughs> whoa, okay, you want me to be like the, the Ark of the Covenant? I don't know if I can <laughs> quite kind of do that. Um, one of the things that I just absolutely love about that mentality, though, is that um, really when it comes to it, the nice thing about corporate worship, we, we can worship by ourselves throughout the week, and, and I think a lot of us are, and I hope if you haven't, then you start doing that. But there's something special about coming together and worshiping God as a body because it shows us that we are not alone. We are not alone in worshiping this God. We are um, not alone in this journey of becoming more like Christ. Um, we're all going through this, this amazing transformation, and we're going through life together serving and honoring Christ. And so when we have that kind of like we're the audience mentality as opposed to um, we're the, uh, uh, the actor's mentality, um, if we just think of ourselves as an audience, we're almost just 
isolating ourselves. We're not really engaging in, in, um, in what God might have going on in our hearts, what's, what's going on in the people around us. And we're just kind of isolating ourselves. Um, mm. Rather, as opposed to we're really missing out on the, the camaraderie and just the corporate aspect of worship. And I have to say there's something about being here um, and worshiping with you guys that just encourages me so much. Um, even when I'm, when I, you know, even if I see somebody like, like raise your hands, and if, if you raise your hands, I hope you don't do it just so I can see it. All right, <laughs> let me let me just make that that preference. But but I see some of you like just not caring about a thing, and you're just worshiping. And it, it reminds me that you know this whole God thing isn't just real in my life. It's real in your life too. Um, during some of the quiet parts when all of a sudden it's like I hear everybody's voice just singing out. It's like, I, it reminds me that this, this whole thing, it's not just real in my life. It's real in your life too. And that yeah. just encourages me to keep going and to keep worshiping and to keep serving God and to keep living life this way. So, I wish that Jed was a little bit more passionate about worship, but... Um, <laughs> Thanks, brother. So we're going to try something here. The Bible reinforces this fact that we are the active participants. In 121 times in Scripture, it says, sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. So even if you don't like singing, we're going to try something this morning. It says, sing to the Lord, and it says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. It doesn't say make an on-tune or in-pitch noise, which is great news for a lot of you that I've heard sing, um, including myself. Uh, it, does, it just says, uh, make a joyful noise. So what we're going to do is we're going to give you a chance to do that. And so we're going to do uh, the chorus to the song, Salvation is Here. You've heard it before, and Elizabeth's going to put, go ahead and put the... Um, Yep, so that's the chorus, and you've heard this before. Uh, Jed's going to lead us into it, and we're going to try something here. He's going to just stop playing. We're going to keep singing. Well, you are. I don't know if I... Uh, everybody is going to sing, and I want you to make... <laughs> I want you to sing as loud as you can. I just want to try this, okay? We're going to make a joyful noise. And some of you think, I can't sing with a darn. That's the point, okay? So we're going to make a joyful noise. We're going to get the fears out. We're going to get the jitters out. And we're just going to sing like we've never sung before, okay? So just shake all your fear out. And we're just going to do this, okay? And if, if it takes a couple times, that's okay. So Jed's going to lead us into it. And then when he stops, I just want, I want to blow the roof off this place. So just sing as loud as you can possible, possibly sing, okay? Let's just do kind of, I'm going to count to three. Let's just do a shout just to get our voices warmed up. Okay, one, two, three. Okay, so sing like that. Okay. Deep breaths. Because I know my... God saved the day, and I know his word never fails, and I know my God made a way for me. It's going to be all right, because I know my God saved the day, and I know his word never fails, and I know my God made a way for me. Salvation is here. Go ahead and have a seat. Nice job. I think uh, we almost weren't Lutheran there for a while. That was getting a little... <laughs> Woo! That felt good. So why not do that every time? Some of us get so self-aware and self-conscious of ourselves that we forget what we're doing. The audience is God. The audience is not people around you. And whether you are in tune or you can dance or clap on beat or not, that is not 
the point. Our desire in this place is that the person that raises their hands and expresses their worship to God in that way would feel as safe as the person who just wants to put their hands in their pockets and be still before God and close their eyes. And that that is just as genuine as the person that's jumping up and down going crazy. The most important thing is what's going on here connecting with there. And so my question for you is, are you engaged? Is your heart engaged in worship? Or are they just kind of words on the screen? I found this next clip, and I have just been dying, dying to show it to you. And I, when I first saw it, I, I don't even, I want to show this to Hope Des Moines so bad, I don't even know if it has a point to do with the sermon, but I'm going to show it anyway. But, but today it does. It, it absolutely does. And so this is uh, a fan cam at a Celtics basketball game, Boston Celtics game. And they're scanning around and they're playing Living on a Prayer, right, by Bon Jovi, right? And they land on this guy and this kid just starts to go crazy. And as you watch this, as you laugh, which I'm sure that you will because I do every time I watch it. So feel free to laugh, but then also think to yourself, what is going on in him where he doesn't have any fear to express what he's feeling inside. Let's take a look at the fan cam. Let's check it out. On from there, and it goes on from there, right? Whatever that guy has, more of that, right? Do you worship in freedom? Like, what's, what's getting in the way for you? Like, you can look at that oh, Celtics game, right? We worship the God of the universe. Do you think that he cares what it looks like more than he cares what's going on in here? That kid is all in. And some of us just read words on a screen and call that worship. Are you all in? And what, what fears, what insecurities, what barriers do you need to just get over so you can experience that kind of joy. I don't hear that amount of laughter here on a weekly basis. Why not? Oh, what are people going to think? And if I, if I raise my hands or if I start to get emotional during worship, what, I wonder what people are going to think. And I don't want to be perceived as one of those Christians. You know, I, I, just don't, I, I can't really go that far. That would, be, that would be too much. And what if I don't have control of my emotions? And oh man, what could happen? Who cares? This is, this is the same God that in heaven when the angels are worse, they can't even look at him and the angels just cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. They can't even look at him because just who God is is so worthy to be worshipped and we're worried about lifting a hand. I'd be a little bit more like that guy during worship. Maybe not like perching on the chairs. You don't have to do that, but... <laughs> I want to be a little bit more like his heart. Is your heart fully engaged? And so I guess here's where I want to land today. If you could turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. We've spent a lot of our time today talking about what worship looks like here on Sunday mornings, but I would be missed if I limited it to that, if we thought that worship was simply songs. What does it mean for us the rest of the week? When you leave those doors, does worship just end is, is worship for an hour a week. We find something incredible here in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. We pick it up. Therefore, Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, he's talking to us, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. 
So why of all the ideas and illustrations and metaphors would Paul use the idea of sacrifice? Well, the people that he's writing to, predominantly the Jewish Christians, would understand this idea of sacrifice. For us, it's not a very comforting thought. Anybody would like to be a sacrifice this morning, right? We think of killing something, right, or being laid on an altar. But when we look at God's people in the Old Testament— The idea of sacrifice was a big part of how they were in a relationship with God. And so the idea was they would take a pure, spotless animal that had been chosen to be a sacrifice or a dedication. It was a way of placing their sins on the altar to be a sweet aroma to God to make atonement for their sins. That's why Jesus comes. He's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus has taken that once and for all, but Paul's picking up on this theme, and it would, the idea is that the sacrifice that these people are thinking about was sort of was this bridge between the people and God. How are we going to be standing right before God in our worship? Well, we need a pure and spotless sacrifice to cast our sin upon, and so the sacrifice was this bridge between God and the people. And Paul's not saying, don't be that kind of a sacrifice. Look what he says. Be a living sacrifice. Be a bridge between God and the people that he loves that need his love and grace. And God's wondering for us today, will we be that bridge? Or will you just sing about it your whole life? It's hard to read the scripture and not understand that worship does not stop in these walls. It goes beyond them. When we spend our lives living for the things that are close to God's heart, we are ascribing worth to God by valuing what he values, and that's people. By the way we live our lives, our lives are a song of worship. And I am so thankful that you are this kind of church. I was writing our annual report this week, which is kind of a summary of everything that we've done as a church. And I just wanted to share this with you. This is just a snapshot just of things that have taken place outside these walls. We've had dozens of work days with hundreds of volunteers at our new facility. There's been hundreds of pounds of food collected for the Super Bowl food drive, over 500 meals served at Central Iowa Shelter, eight park nights reaching out to the neighborhood, dozens and dozens of boxes of school supplies for kids in need, over 20 mentors for kids at Hubble, countless servants here serving with our breakfast club ministry, a 1,006 hot dogs thrown at people in the Beaverdale parade, 30,000 meals packaged for Meals from the Heartland, and over 200 kids and adults at Vacation Bible School. Praise God for that. That's just the last 12 months. And I read, I read you that not for our glory, but to show you how much worship has taken place through Hope Des Moines outside these walls. And way more important, if you think about it that way, and the people that have been impacted by you, way more important than if we happen to sing some songs that you like, or if the worship band happens to be in tune, <laughs> way more important than any of that stuff is the tens of thousands of people in these neighborhoods that have never heard the song of heaven. Which is the message of a God who loves them unconditionally. And how are they going to hear that song if our singing ends here? Let your life be a song of worship 
to the world around you. When worship is at its best, it should be almost like a slingshot for the church. It's, it's like a slingshot where you, you pull back and, and worship becomes this catalyst to launch you into a life of worship. It's almost like a, well, it's almost like a rubber band that you might have on your chairs this morning. And if not, it fell down. So grab that rubber band with me, if you would, and don't do anything with it yet. Just look at it. Just pull at it and stretch a little bit. If you need one, you can raise your hand. The ushers will or grab you one. But everybody should have one on their chair. Just grab that rubber band. This is, this is an all-play. This is for everybody. You're not going to want to miss this. We've got some extras in the back, so just raise your hand. When the church is at its best, when worship's at its best, it's not an end unto itself. It's a catalyst. As you think about every week, everybody kind of pull your rubber band back. Don't let it go. Seriously, I'm in front. Uh, and pull it back. That Sunday morning, everybody say, Sunday morning. That Sunday morning, the rest of the week is whatever, don't, 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 whatever happens when you get launched out into mission. Worship is a catalyst for the rest of your life, 24-7, seven days a week, out there living for Jesus Christ. So you, before you get any ideas, I'm going to have you stand and keep your rubber band with you. I'm going to have you stand, and I'm going to pray, and as I pray, I want you to feel the tension, and that's a good tension, so pull it back. And don't aim at the person's head in front of you, please, right? I'm going to pray, and I want you to hold that, and I want you to feel that tension. That's what Sunday morning should feel like. That at the end of Sunday morning, like we're at right now, you should feel this strong urge to get out of here. And I say that in a good way. I mean, talk to people, right? Go be the church. That's the point. That's the tension that you should feel. Worship is a catalyst to go be the church. So I'm going to pray, and when I'm done praying, I'm going to say amen, and then you just launch those things wherever you want to, okay? Seriously, just maybe not all at me. Just different directions, not at people in front of you, all right? Let's pray. Pull it. Feel that tension. God, we thank you for the tension of worship, that it is not just a Sunday morning thing. We thank you that you created us to worship, and we thank you that you have called us to be living sacrifices, that that is our spiritual act of worship, our whole lives lived for you. I pray that we would not be able to sing any more worship songs without wanting to go do it. I pray that we would not be able to worship any longer without being motivated and moved by your spirit to go be the answer to our prayers and to go live out in this city what we have just sung about. God, thank you for what happens here on Sunday morning and thank you that you have launched us to go be the church and to be sent into mission this week. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Launch those suckers! <laughs>